Hi friends, I'm back. How are you? I hope everything's great. It's November 5th today and we're still over here waiting to find out what's going to happen with the election. So this is my little distraction to myself to record an episode. And when I started researching this episode, I literally saw a think it was an oxygen show I don't remember I'm sorry about this case and I had never heard of it and so I was like I'm not gonna get a lot of info you know but fortunately there was a multitude of info is that the right word there was a lot of info my dog is here again and she's gonna make noise as I found that she did in the last episode but I didn't notice that I was editing right Dixie She's just chilling with me in the closet again. I feel like I should have, like, my boyfriend, when he comes home from work, I should have him take a picture of me in my closet on the floor recording. And then he should start a GoFundMe for, for, um, to build a studio in our house. (laughs) I'm a genius. Anyway, I also just want to give a shout out quick. One of my brother's friends listened to episode one, which is so great. And thank you to everybody that's listening at all. It's very sweet. And I love you. But um, but she said she had to turn her volume all the way up to hear me. So I messed with my mic settings a little bit. And hopefully that doesn't happen again. And if it does, I'm really sorry. But I tried to fix it. I don't know your name, but thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. Appreciate you. Anyway, today we're going to talk about Sierra Joggin, and I think it's Joggin. I've heard it Joggin on most sources, so Sierra Joggin. Sierra Catherine Joggin was born on February 11, 1996 in Sylvania, Ohio. Her parents' names are Tom and Sheila. Sierra was a sweet, gorgeous girl, oh my gosh, she was so pretty, you guys, who was extremely confident and comfortable in her own skin and being who she was. And her mom on one interview said that was like her favorite thing about her. Sierra and her mom were the best of friends. She was also really close to her mom's sister, Tara. Maybe it's Tara. I don't know. I'm going to say Tara. She spent a lot of time with her and her family at her house. Tara's son, Sierra's cousin, had a friend named Josh. When Josh and Sierra were 13, they began dating. Josh was Sierra's first boyfriend, and it sounded like they had an awesome relationship. They were together a long time, and that's really hard to do when you're a teenager. Josh said that even when they were young teenagers, he knew she was the one and literally said, like, I'm going to marry her someday, which is so cute. After attending Evergreen High School in 2014, Sierra moved on to the University of Toledo in Ohio to study human resource management. The summer before her junior year, she decided to finish her degree from home and she moved back in with her mom. By July 19 of 2016, which is when this happened, I don't know when they moved, but this is this is when stuff goes down. 
So she was 20 at the time, and she and her mom lived in rural Delta, Ohio. Delta is a really small farming town of just over 3,000 people, and it's west of Toledo. Sierra had recently gotten a new purple bike at a garage sale, which, my favorite color too, go you, Sierra. The afternoon of July 19, she told her mom she was going to ride it seven miles to Josh's house to hang out for a little while. While Sierra was at Josh's, Sheila went to a class, and she got home at about 9.30 that night. She says that when she arrived home, the light in Sierra's room was off. She habitually looked up at Sierra's window when she got home because it was visible from the driveway. She thought it was kind of weird because she figured Sierra would have been home by now, but like her lights were off. But she wasn't super concerned because Sierra was 20 years old and she was fine to be at Josh's. I mean, she's not going to like freak out if her daughter's not home by 930 because she's a grown up technically. Um, She, whenever, uh, I cannot talk today, you guys. This is bad. What is wrong with me? Dixie, do you want to take over this one? I've decided she's my co-host. Dogs are good co-hosts. Anyway, however, Josh called a little while later and she asked if Sierra was home because she wasn't answering her phone. And this was not like Sierra to just like not go straight home and go somewhere else and not tell anybody. And it wasn't like her to not answer her phone either. So sketchy. So Sheila called Tara, her sister, and they all went about trying to find Sierra. They called hospitals, they posted on Facebook, they called all Sierra's friends, and no one had seen her or heard anything. And then four hours after Sierra had left Josh's house, they called 911. I've seen a lot of people praising the work the police did in this case, which is awesome, and I totally agree, because there's been so many cases where there's, like, a missing person, and this law, if it's a law, I don't know, general rule of thumb, whatever, the whole waiting for 24 hours thing after someone goes missing thing should just not be a thing. So we've all seen our fair share of cases where the cops are like, yeah, we have to wait 24 hours to even start looking. And then that person that's missing is literally found dead or something else terrible because no one like but the family and maybe a few other people or public or whatever start looking and then things just are bad. We don't we don't need that. We don't want that. But thankfully, that's not what happened here. And I wish there were a lot more cases like that, but whatever. The police start looking right away and they talk to Josh pretty quickly too because he was the last person to see her. The cops go to his house and have him walk through every detail of their day together, when they parted ways on the way home, which I'll get to that, and how she had been acting, like was she being normal, did she say she had other plans, whatever. According to Josh, they had hung out for a while at his house and then they took off towards Sierra's house together. He on his motorcycle and her on her bicycle. At some point, which Josh notes is exactly 6.43 p.m., she told him she was fine to finish the ride on her own and set off towards home. So, like, yeah. So, they were driving home or riding, I guess, riding home together. And then she was like, I'm good. I'll take it from here. So, he said bye. And that was the last time he saw her. Josh was, like, super cooperative. He gave up his phone, and he let the police search his house, truck, and his motorcycle. They got the clothes he had been wearing that day to look for blood or DNA or whatever. The only suspicious thing they recovered was a pair of coveralls with what appeared to be blood on them. Josh told the police that he had used those specific coveralls when deer hunting, which would totally make sense as to why there was blood on them, but you had to obviously still find out. Ultimately, the blood did test as animal blood, and Josh was dropped as a suspect or at least essentially i don't know about all the way but 
for the most part. They were like, okay, we got to look elsewhere. So the same night Sierra went missing, there was a deputy and he was out searching for her or for clues or whatever. He was driving along the county road that Josh had last seen her on when they parted ways, which was on her route home. As he was driving, he noticed an area of corn in his headlights that was kind of like smushed down or pushed back. It looked like there had been something that some oh my god i just hit my headphones oops sorry if that was loud i might cut that out <laughs> anyway i'm having a day guys I'm, ha- I'm having a week america is having a week so i'm allowed to have a week whatever <laughs> he okay so he saw the corn push back blah 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 he pulled over to investigate and immediately noticed there were motorcycle tracks on the side of the road which like could have been josh's but you Eh, again, gotta check it out. As he walked back further into the corn, he noticed that the area smelled like gas and he found some suspicious items. In the words of the great Bailey Syrian, the area was very suspicious. Okay. These included an automotive fuse box, two pairs of sunglasses, and an orange handled screwdriver. Upon looking closer, he realized that the screwdriver had blood on it or like or like at least it looked like blood. He also saw a green sock and he knew that Sierra was wearing green socks when she went missing. So I'm sure like his heart probably sank into his feet like, oh no, what did I just come across? At one point, his flashlight like caught a reflection even further into the corn and he went to investigate it and he found Sierra's bike her new purple bike. Obviously, all this evidence leads police to the conclusion that there had been an abduction because there was all this stuff, obviously mostly Sierra's and no Sierra. This is obviously terrible, but the good news that they had was that the blood around, like on the screwdriver and such, there wasn't enough to like be fatal automatically. So they were hoping, yay, Sierra's still alive, maybe, you know? Glimmer of hope. Over the next few days, because they still didn't find her, over the next few days, search parties of 100 plus people were out searching for Sierra. I saw a red somewhere that, because that town was so tiny, the numbers of people that came out to look almost equaled like the population of the town. I'm not going to give any numbers because I don't remember what they were, but it was really good. It was good to see that people were out helping. Anyway. They went door to door around the small town with flyers and they found a few witnesses that had seen her riding her bike, but no one that had seen what happened. Investigators attempted to track Sierra using her Fitbit and her phone and that didn't work. Her phone did ping a few miles away, but it didn't help in finding her and I don't really know how that didn't help, but it didn't, unfortunately. In the days after her disappearance, a farmer came forward to tell a story that I'm sure seemed unimportant to him at the time. But then he's like, oh, this happened. I better come forward. He said that he had been driving down County Road 6 with his son. That was, that's, that's the road in question. He noticed an abandoned motorcycle helmet on the side of the road and had his son jump out and grab it. Um, they turned this motorcycle helmet into the police and when they examined it, when the police examined it, they found blood, including a bloody handprint. This, along with the motorcycle tracks, had them believing that whatever danger Sierra had come across involved a bad, bad person riding a motorcycle. Bad person. At some point during the searches, this is kind of a crazy story, Josh was driving around and he saw a big white van. 
one of those stereotypical big white vans, like windowless, like creepy, stranger danger kidnapping vans. They're not obviously not always used for that, but it happens. Don't take free candy from vans, kids. He said as he started to follow the van to try and get a plate number, it started driving kind of sketchy and then it took off really fast on the road. He couldn't keep up. However, he did get a partial plate number, so he reported that right away, like he called that in. They were able to get a hit on the plate number, so they found the van and they pulled it over. The, there was a woman in the van, and she explained the same story that Josh had, except for from the other point of view. She was like, why is this crazy dude following me? <laughs> and so she took off. And the van was searched thoroughly, and there was no evidence of any foul play or that Sierra had been in it or anything like that. So this poor woman, <laughs> like, I understand why they did it. I just, I put myself in her position in that, in that scenario and felt bad. Anyways, so she sent her off, and they're at square one as far as suspects. So police had the ability to search databases for people with prior violent records in the vicinity of Sierra's house and her disappearance. They found a man by the name of James Dean Worley, who was a 57-year-old convicted felon. Three days after Sierra disappeared, they decided to pay him a visit. And it sounds like this visit was a nightmare from beginning to end. I wouldn't ever want to have to deal with this dude. Before he even let them in, he was angry. He was upset that they were there. And, oh my goodness. So the, the show I watched, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up later and tell you what it was because some of this just, you just need a visual for some of this case. Oh my goodness. And they had like the recording from when they were there along with like the pictures. So here's some actual quotes from this lovely man. So you're going to tell me that this is all under the guise of checking every household and you're not here for any reason. Like, yeah, we are, but we're going to lie to you about it. Obviously, we're checking everywhere. And he said, I'm not out here killing chicks, man. <sighs> that statement alone, killing chicks, those two words, okay? Killing, the one word, is a is like a super huge dead giveaway that he knows something because no one knew at that point where Sierra was, much less if she was dead or alive. Like, come on. They should have just arrested him on the spot. I know you can't do that, but I wish. So, yeah, James Worley, proud of you. Anyway, Worley eventually lets them in the house to look around. He, oh my goodness, did you guys hear that? I hope that it didn't pick up, but it, I'm sure it did. Dixie just slammed her tail against the door. And she has like a tail of steel. Anyway, um, so Worley eventually lets him in the house to look around. He lived with his mom. And they had the main house and then they had a couple of buildings, like a farm building and maybe like a storage shed. I don't really know. On And they had about an acre of land that all these buildings were on. As investigators searched the house, they didn't find anything too crazy. I mean, the house was a mess, but whatever. When Worley showed him the, his room, he said, quote, this is my room. See, no dead bodies. Come on, bro. And then he said, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't raped anybody. Let's get that straight. Uh, okay. After searching the house, eventually the group goes out to search the buildings. In the barn, the area they first entered had a bunch of junk and equipment around. It was like a, a barn, you know, barns had a lot of stuff in them usually. He explained that he was a, quote, small businessman. 
and would do small engine and motorcycle repair out of his barn. That's why he had stuff all over. So they made their way to the other end of the barn and things got a lot weirder. A lot weirder. There was a giant pile of hay bales and there was a green box, a really big green box tucked in like up in them that was surrounded by chicken wire. One of the detectives said this kind of looked like an animal crate. So like if that helps you visualize, like I said, you need some visuals for this. They opened it and discovered a bunch of women's clothing and lingerie in like the gallon size Ziploc bags, right? They were labeled in large black letters. They were explaining the contents. So like, ugh, so creepy. One was like a teddy and then there was like a beach dress. Ah, it was just creepy. Everyone found this really strange, like I, and Worley was very upset that they were looking in his creepy crate. He was real pissed. He demanded that they close it up. He said it was all girlfriend stuff and that he gave them as gifts to women because they like that stuff. Women like that stuff. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We like... <laughs> we just... All we want is for a man to give us creepy clothes from a creepy box in a creepy barn from a creepy dude. That's the kind of man we want. Anyway, among the rest of the weirdness, they found a hot pinkish pair of underwear and they were blood stained. So at this point, they took him down to the police station because there was blood. Here, he still denied any wrongdoing and admitted that the strange lingerie and other items were for a porn studio that he was planning on starting. He wanted to be a porn producer. He also admitted to being in the area of the crime scene, but claimed that his motorcycle had broken down and he called his brother for help. He said he'd lost his screwdriver, sunglasses, some fuses, and, spoiler alert, his helmet. So all those things that that deputy had found in the cornfield on the county road. However, none of those items that had been found had been made public yet. So no one could have just known that, you know. The police also noted fresh marks on his arms and bruises on his legs. Authorities continued to search for Sierra or any sign of her on his property. <coughs> Holy crap, I still have allergies, you guys. That's not going to go away for a while. <sighs> okay. Authorities continued to search for Sierra or any sign of her on his property. The first thing they did was get those hay bales out of there. One of the investigators described the pile of hay bales to be in the shape of a four-post bed. So they get all the hay bales out and underneath they find something that I can only imagine would like stop their hearts. I can't. There was a freezer, like a little deep freeze, that was buried in the ground. And then the hay bales had been on top of it. There were toe straps attached to it. So if someone was in it, they couldn't get out. Like they were, it was like buckled down like that. There was a piece of plywood on top with what appeared to be air holes cut in it, which is so creepy. They opened the freezer and no Sierra. The freezer was lined with carpet and it smelled like bleach or chemicals. Dixie, seriously, you're being a terrible co-host right now. We can hear your squeaky toy. <laughs> she does not care. Anyway, I'm not going to take her toy away from her. So, I'm really sorry if that picks up again. Anyway. <laughs> so, the freezer was lined with carpet and it smelled like bleach. And it was creepy. 
So they found other sketchy things in the barn too. Here is a comprehensive list of other sketchy things found in the barn and in his truck too. A storage box full of sexual devices and duct tape, an air mattress, zip ties, rope, pepper spray, and a ski mask. Which I don't know about you guys. To me, that sounds like a kidnapping kit. They found blood on Worley's motorcycle too, and they eventually found blood in that freezer, although that wasn't proven to be either his or Sierra's, but I can only imagine, you know. Recording devices such as hidden cameras were also found all over his property. On the same day Worley was arrested, July, which was July 22nd, so three days after, a farmer called the police to report something strange he had found in one of his fields. There was a large mound of dirt, and he had no idea how it had gotten there, like between corn stalks. Knowing there was a missing girl, he wasn't about to investigate that himself, and I wouldn't either. Officers went to the scene and agreed that it was strange, so they started digging. Before long, they unfortunately, sadly, found the body of sweet, beautiful 20-year-old Sierra, buried about two feet under the ground. How she was buried is a total trigger warning, so please skip ahead, like, for a couple seconds if you need to. It's not fun. She was wearing an adult diaper with a plastic toy, like sex toy, in her mouth, acting as a gag. She was also hogtied. I had to take a second because that's rough. That is just, mm, I'm not a psychologist, but something was wrong with this man. Sierra's funeral was held July 28, 2016 at Christ the Word Church in Sylvania, where she was born. On August 16, so less than a month later, James Worley was indicted on 19 counts, including aggravated murder, felonious assault, tampering with evidence, kidnapping, abduction, and abuse of a corpse. And he was sent to jail without bond. He entered a plea of not guilty. After some delays, quite a few delays actually, his trial finally began in March of 2018 in Fulton County. This is how the prosecution laid out their case. After Josh and Sierra parted ways on that awful day, investigators say that Worley saw Sierra riding her bike while he was driving down County Road 6 on his motorcycle. He passed her, then pulled over and waited for her to approach him. He struck her with his helmet and dragged her into the corn. She was passed out at this point, so he tied her up, waited until it was dark, and left her in the cornfield while he went to get his vehicle. Depending on what source you look at, he either had a truck or a van at the time. I don't know which one he used. Whatever vehicle it was, a witness did come forward saying that they had seen his vehicle, a vehicle, speeding back towards the scene. He put her in the vehicle and took her back to his barn where he hogtied her and placed the plastic toy in her mouth. It is said that he shoved the toy in her mouth with enough force to break a tooth. Yikes. As was apparently his plan... She asphyxiated from this and passed away, likely after about 10 minutes. That's the coroner, like, guessing. Despite all of this, authorities found no evidence of any sexual assault. He buried her body a few miles southwest of his property in that farmer's field. During the investigation, Sierra's DNA had been found on that air mattress that they found in his barn. Both Sierra and Worley's DNA was found on a piece of duct tape. His DNA was found on a key that had been used to handcuff her, and a matching key was found on his keychain. I'm really proud of myself. I always say cheekane. 
Every time I could try and say keychain, I always say keychain first. Anyway. Something I haven't mentioned yet is why James Worley was on that list of felons that they searched through to find him in the first place. So let's dive into this gross human being really quick. He was born in Washington in 1959, graduated from the same Evergreen High School that Sierra had, but with a 1.59 GPA, which he attributes to marijuana use and dealing at an early age. He worked several jobs in Toledo, including as a farmer, and he did some groundskeeping at at a fairground. In July of 1990, this is the felony, he intentionally hit a young lady named Robin Gardner with his truck while she was, get this, riding her bike. He then hit her in the head, cuffed her, and placed a screwdriver to her throat. He told her, I'll kill you if you don't stop screaming. While he was trying to force her into his truck, she managed to escape like a total badass, and a passing driver picked her up, likely saving her life. Actually, more than likely saving her life. He was sentenced to four to ten years for this crime, but got out in three, which is straight up insane if you ask me. In the year 2000, he returned to prison for having pop plants and possessing weapons while on disability, which at that time were both felonies. I've seen a lot of people speculate, probably correctly, that the chance that Robin and Sierra were his only victims is probably really small because these were a long time apart and this guy's cuckoo bananas. I'd be willing to bet that there's some unsolved cases that could be linked to him and I hope they go try and go about that, but we'll see. During his trial, Worley remained adamant that he had no idea who Sierra was, had never seen her or assaulted her or killed her. Two of the witnesses that testified were longtime friends of Worley. One testified that they smoked weed and watched porn together and that Worley had shared with him that he wanted to become a porn producer and build a studio in his barn. The other testified that the motorcycle helmet used in the crime was a gift he had given to Worley years ago. One of the defense's witnesses was a criminal psychologist. He testified that the attack was motivated by, quote, Hi, babe. Hi, babe. Sexual sadism. <laughs> That's what you walk in on. Aren't you excited? Is, is, are you going to air this? Or? Well, I have to edit it first. Okay. Hey guys. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh man. He testified that the attack was motivated by, quote, sexual sadism connected with a fetish disorder. He also testified that Orley had multiple mental health issues, one of which being sexual paraphilia disorder. Our good friend, WebMD, defines paraphilia as, quote, abnormal sexual behaviors or impulses characterized by intense sexual fantasies and urges that keep coming back and quote at its most extreme sexual sadism involves illegal activities such as rape torture and even murder in which case the death of the victim produces sexual excitement unquote another clinical psychologist said of the evidence quote all these pieces together seem to me to indicate somebody who was into a serious pattern of activities sadosexual or what comes to mind. I would suspect that there's a possibility of other victims who either did not survive or who got away, unquote, which that kind of just solidifies it for me right there. Not during the trial, but in a letter he wrote to the judge, this is Worley, he wrote, quote, my family and myself are good, decent, and very honest people. When Worley was unfortunately given a chance to speak on his own behalf, he turned to the family of Sierra and told them, 
Her loss is a substantial blow to everyone. He also referred to Sierra as a beautiful girl, which prompted some of her family members to walk out of the courtroom, which is exactly what I would have done. During the defense's closing statement, his attorney suggested that Worley may have had an accomplice. They also suggested he was in an incestuous relationship with his mother. The prosecution shut both of those ideas down, saying the grave was so hastily dug that they don't think it took two people. They also said that there was no evidence he was in a relationship with his mom. The jury deliberated for six hours, and James Dean Worley was found guilty of 17 of the 19 charges he was facing. He was sentenced to death. The judge who passed down the sentence said to him, If I thought there was a snowball's chance in hell that you were innocent, you would be looking at life. On top of the death penalty, he was sentenced to 11 years for the kidnapping charge, 8 years for the felonious assault charge, 11 months for possession of criminal tools, and 36 months for tampering with evidence. He was first scheduled to be executed on June 19, sorry, June 3 of 2019. Due to constant appeals, it has been pushed back and this piece of garbage is still alive and in prison. On death row. Fortunately, though, Sierra's story doesn't end with her death. Her mom, Sheila, and her aunt, Tara, are dedicating their lives to keeping her memory alive and making sure that this tragedy doesn't happen to other families. They have an organization called Justice for Sierra, which is justiceforsierra.org, which raises awareness. They hold self-defense classes, which is really cool, and they work to pass legislature. I read all about it on the site. It's super awesome. In December of 2018, the governor of Ohio, or he was, he passed a law called Sierra's Law. Now, thanks to them and former Ohio Senators Randy Gardner and Cliff Height, Ohio has a database that's available to law, enfor- law enforcement and the public that names violent offenders in their area. The violent offenses that are available through this database are murder and aggravated murder, voluntary manslaughter, abduction, and kidnapping. Their website says they are working to get Sierra's law passed in all 50 states, which would be awesome. To fundraise this, they hold a run as well as a gala with auctions and food and stuff. One other thing I found cool was that through Sierra Strong, um, which is part of Justice for Sierra, they provide what is called a kid print ID. It's a laminated photo ID with height, weight, hair color, and fingerprint that can help when finding a missing child. So that's really cool. And they provide that for free. So even better. So that's that story. Sorry to bring you down even more on election week than we're already feeling. This is stressful, man. I mean, I have only been like a been able to vote for two two elections now. Oh no, this is number three. I mean, for two elections now, and I don't remember having to wait this long because it's obviously it was on Tuesday. I'm recording this on Thursday, so everybody be safe, be smart, hang in there. We're all gonna be okay. I'll be posting about this on Instagram again. And soon I'm going to have a website, I think. I'm going to work on that. Everybody have a wonderful rest of your day and night and week. Okay, bye.